I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for episode 32 on the Customs Union with guest Emma Reynolds. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope and I'm here with Director Richard Angel to look over the past few days. First, Richard, we should talk about Tessa Jowell. I mentioned her briefly in the introduction to Tuesday's podcast, but obviously there's a lot more that we can touch on such an incredible person in such an incredible life. Yeah, I think Tessa is such a sad loss. When I heard the news, it obviously wasn't a surprise. You know, when somebody is diagnosed in that way with brain cancer and talks so bravely about the trial treatments that she might have needed and the lengths that the surgeons had to go to to help her and how quickly these things have progressed and what they had to do to to keep her alive. It obviously wasn't big news in that sense that it was happening. It was just a massive sense of loss and you know somebody who's very close to me said we can take real comfort from the fact that she'll no longer be in pain and her family won't have to see her suffer and I said to them, I, I know that but I'm sad for me like <laughs> it's just yeah you know like I, I got to meet her years and years ago when I was a little nobody running a labor club and she made me feel like I was the most important person in the world and she did in every meeting I met her since, regardless of what I was doing. I once got told off by her, which was the most wow. awful experience in the world because she was so nice about it. What did you do? Uh, I don't really... It wasn't a very bad thing. But <laughs> the, um, uh, it just seems so unusual. There were, there were so few stories about uh, telling people off. That... Yeah, it just, but it was the nicest telling off you could ever get. And presumably you deserved it. Uh, yeah, totally. No, absolutely <laughs> fairly, right? absolutely fairly. But the um but like it was just the level of disappointment that she felt. <laughs> it was just like I was I couldn't have been more heartbroken. It was like my granddad saying it. It was just this like you know, these people you kind of hold out on a plinth. And then when we got the news about David Sainsbury ending his support for progress and we were obviously keeping it really tight, she was, I think beyond Alison McGovern, who obviously is our chair, was the first politician that I told partly because Rob Philpott, who's one of our uh, directors, my predecessor, wrote a brilliant piece about Tessa having worked for her for a number of years. When we were kind of like, who will be able to give us some useful advice? And it was like, 
it was just really obvious that Tessa mm. was something we went to. And then you have this lovely meeting, a kind of to-do list comes out of it. And, you know, she she made things happen. So, yeah, just really, really remarkable. And just somebody who's been very personally supportive at various points. And lots of people have talked about this, but she kind of crossed the road to help people and to give them a hug and encouragement, which was very lovely. And then I remember when we were supporting her for mayor of london a friend of mine who lives in newcastle got in touch and was like can i come and stay with you a few days i want to go and volunteer for tessa Giles' campaign i was like of course that's really nice and he said when his parents were getting divorced when he was a teenager tessa had said something about divorce on the telly and so he wrote to her of you know like a nobody hmm. early teen kid but something she'd said had chimed with him and she wrote back a four or five page handwritten note about what it must be like to go through that and advice and guidance and support. And she was a cabinet minister mm. in the country. I mean, just, and what's amazing is like, everyone has a story like that of somebody, I don't know how she did anything. She must have spent <laughs> her whole time writing thank you notes, encouraging notes, wishing people well, sending beautiful text messages, always had love Tessa at the end. <laughs> it's a real sad thing. And, you know, I'm feeling very selfish about it. I feel really sad about yeah. it. And the, the tributes that were paid by MPs in the House of Commons from, from people of all parties all really did touch on what a kind and personable person that she was and, and those kind of personal attributes as well as obviously the political ones of uh, you know of the Olympics, of offshore start. And of course, as we saw this week, the, the doubling in funding for research into the type of cancer that she had, which will bear her name and rightly so because when she came into the house of lords a couple of months ago after being very ill and spoke about it and led that debate it's incredible that someone in that position could have the will and strength to campaign as vigorously as she did i don't think it comes as a surprise to anyone that once tessa had put her mind to it she was uh, successful in getting a really big change in the country even when she was doing that and all that must have gone into that she had somebody in her team make sure i knew what date it was on so they would mm, come to this yeah. little reception afterwards and they got me i got to sit on the floor level in the house of lords to watch the debate and there was just a level of considerateness by her and the people around her in what must like that was definitely tessa time and time for her to think about her and her immediate family but she constantly thought about everyone else Ian Dale on his podcast, For the Many, which when you finish listening to this podcast, you should also listen to. It's got him and Jackie Smith on it. He talks about this very touching way in which she contacted him because she wanted him to hear from her first rather than the media. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, that's somebody who's not from the same political stable, somebody who's not necessarily somebody from the same clan, but that they've got a relationship and rapport over the years. And she wanted to share that news. And that's very, very sweet. I think one thing... I would say that the legacy is really focused on her personal contribution to politics, which is remarkable and is kind of inspiring for all the rest of us. And in many ways, the very big achievements of creating Sure Start, which of course Labour MPs are arguing we should honour her memory by now saving it, and of course the Olympics. But there's lots of smaller things that she did. You know, making sure countries didn't send only men, but also sent women to the Olympics. A teenage pregnancy strategy. I used to live in her constituency, like the bits of Dulwich and West Norwood that are tessified and have got these wonderful imprints in their community. And young people in her community have gone on into politics or into law or other parts of public life from backgrounds that otherwise might not have got there that she was aspirational for and she kept in touch with is really quite remarkable. The role she played in getting the smoking ban 
it really like her legacy mm. is quite a phenomenal one and it almost feels there's so much that people won't focus on enough of it but the olympics and short start will obviously stand out but it's amazing how she saw those opportunities to make change and you know, sometimes you have people in politics who are there because they want to serve and that you know once they've got into Commons, that's kind of it done that was their aim as to become an mp Tessa very much felt that public service was the means to her end and she had all these causes that started from her being a social worker herself that she was chipping away at and we're very lucky to have known her. We should move on, but I would recommend people do go and find Robert Philpott's piece on, on the Progress website about Tessa, about the time that he spent working for her. It really is um, a wonderful piece. And we'll put it in the show notes. And yeah, absolutely. But on the topic of this week's podcast, there was... Um, there was a lot of confusion um, around Labour's policy concerning uh, customs ahead of the podcast coming out this week after MPs came out of Monday's meeting of the Parliamentary Labour Party with conflicting reports about what had been agreed. Um, do you have any idea what happened there? I've had various accounts and everyone seems to have come to a different conclusion. Yeah. Broadly, those that are traditionally from the kind of more progress stable, if you will, were arguing their single market customs union EEA, European Economic Area, position that we should be full members of the single market and customs union as a way through Brexit that brings everyone together. We leave the political union but stay part of the economic union, arguing that's the only way to have a jobs first Brexit. So some of those people put their case forward. But equally, there was a kind of concerted effort from those arguably from more the kind of Labour first mm. uh, stable in the party. Uh, John Speller, Caroline Flint, who obviously traditionally more from our stable, but you know, making their case that they wouldn't vote with the whip if it was a pro-EEA position honouring, as they see it, the referendum. And what I was told by an MP that was interesting is that Jeremy Corbyn, with a level of skill that he is clearly acquiring the longer he's in the job, was able to say a lot of things without concluding very much, but with purpose. <laughs> and it's the, John Mann came out of the PLP meeting and said the EA is now dead as mm. an opportunity. And that seemed to be, that was then the journalist readout from it, although that wasn't so, but, but the analysis that was quite interesting this week that got quite a bit of pickup is that the minority of MPs, like John Mann, for instance, who essentially would vote against the single market or the EA, regardless of what the Labour whip is, is a minority, but is big enough that even if Labour did whip for the single market and took some Tory rebels with them, they would be able to essentially block it by, um, you know, that number is just big enough. Do you think that's Do you think that's right? Is, is single market and that kind of stuff dead because of that? Well, it's right if Theresa May is hell-bent on ruining peace in Northern Ireland and taking us to this kind of harsh form of Brexit. But it's still available that if she goes for a Brexit that can bring the country together, cannot have this terrible hiatus with Scotland, did not cause these terrible consequences on the island of Ireland, there would be still 580 MPs or something voting with her for that EA future. So you know, she might use 40 or 50, maybe 60 on her end, and you'd have the 10, 12 maybe from Labour. But, but surely our, our entire future in that sense doesn't hang on Theresa May, the the, the 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 balance in the parliament and the number of Tory rebels that there would be who want to keep a, a close relationship with Europe means that Labour could really have the, the the balance there. Surely, I think I think it does mean Labour has the balance, and I suppose it will come down to how many Tories are prepared to yeah. rebel against their own party. They only arguably need to do it on one day. People are kind of looking at whether there's a pattern, and clearly there are people like Dominic Greaves and others that are leading the charge. Nicky Morgan. Anna Subri and, 
uh, and many others, but there are others we are told kind of sitting behind them that are ready to do it on a given day, but mm. not uh, not every, every day. Okay. Exactly. That's interesting. The issue is, as Theresa May kicks the can down the road, she piles up these votes on series of issues, and it moves very much from being, what do you think is best for the country, to are you voting now against the government in mm. some significant way? That if they were all bunched together, you might remember under the last Labour government, you often had the tuition fee vote next to, I think there was a vote on one of the various Iraq inquiries, and they were like, they were literally next to each other on two days. So you, as a rebel, you kind of had to pick mm. whether you rebelled on tuition fees or Iraq. But if you did both, you were you were basically going to be facing a general election. Mm. And the fixed-term parliament changes the legal part consequence of that, but it doesn't necessarily change the real politique of how that will feel and whether we change prime ministers. And Emma, Emma Reynolds in Tuesday's show was really interesting about that, kind of these parliamentary manoeuvres that Theresa May is doing by pushing things back and whether she can keep enough support and whether that support will be there at the right time. But certainly in terms of pushing the votes back to behind conference was a, was a really interesting element. The higher the cliff, the more the risk. Yeah. Basically the, mm. um... There was a rally of uh, Labour for the single market this week, um, chaired by Alice McGovern and featuring speeches from Neil Kinnock, which was a real... Tub Thumper, Chuck Ramona, Stella Creasy, Ian Murray, Stephen Darity, and the SDLP Stormont Assembly member, Claire Hanna. Um, Who is their Brexit spokesperson. Yeah, it? I think yeah. so, yeah. So, um, I mean, Kinnock's speech was a, was a real tour de force. I think Punchy, we, I heard. It was a it short, was. pithy... <laughs> he claimed afterwards it lasted 12 minutes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, In dog years. I, I think my watch must have been broken because it was reading a little bit longer on, on mine. So I think we might look at his speech in a bit more depth in a, in a future episode. But um, I just wanted for now to play this clip from Stella Creasy's speech, which was about customs, borders and paperwork. Paperwork. When you're talking to people about Brexit, don't forget paperwork. Because as soon as you have borders, you need to have paperwork. And as soon as you have paperwork and borders, you have delays. Two extra minutes at Dover for goods to come in and out of our country. That's miles and miles of queues. Four minutes, the queue gets even further. Eight minutes, it's back to the M25. Every time you talk to people who work in business, just talk to them about the paperwork. You know, when this government said it wanted to take the red tape challenge, I didn't realise it wanted to create more of it. And yet that is exactly what leaving the customs union will do. Because we are a nation where we move things in and out of our shores all the time. You might have a British-made car, but I bet you it's got French windscreen wipers and Spanish seats and maybe even German engineering in it. All of those pieces of kit coming back and forth Paperwork is a thing to remember. It is a really interesting uh, argument that Stella's putting forward there because actually it is about the kind of, not so much the nitty gritty, but it's about the practicality of a daily life of being at a border and what actually adding more time and more paperwork means in that sense. Time is money for manufacturing in Britain and it's in a precarious situation as it is. It operates because it uses the whole of the European Union as essentially a kind of um, shop floor moving products mm. about where the country of origin is immaterial if it's all within the EU and they have basically things that arrive within hours of the being put on the particular car or the particular steelworks or particular whatever it is construction that is going about uh, where there's massive penalties for the 
uh, transport company if they arrive either too early or too mm. late and we're about to kind of institutionally make that difficult. And also, after 40 years, the infrastructure that existed around Calais or Dover has got new housing on it and other things because as the customs arrangements have become harmonised, there's not been the need to park up your vans and uh, and these huge containers that'll have the problems are numerous. And of course, in Northern Ireland, they're very, very real. Anyway, it was, it was, it was a brilliant rally and um, hearing from uh, Neil Kinnock is, is always... A treat. Uh, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. He's a, he's a real Labour hero of mine. Um, if you're interested in stuff like that, do sign up for labour4singlemarket.org to support that campaign. It's really important. Richard Porritt, political editor of The New European, was tweeting about what a great listen this podcast is this week um, after featuring a clip of Alistair Campbell's speech to Progress Conference on the previous episode of their podcast. You're a big fan of the New European podcast, aren't you, Richard? I, I really am. I think him and Steve do a really good job on it, joined by other of their colleagues based on their kind of expertise. I really enjoy it. And it's interesting to have a Brexit podcast not based in London. And I think that is quite important that, mm. you know, the New European, I think, is based up in Norwich. And it does just feel that little bit removed from the kind of, internecine nature of the bubble but really focused on where the kind of fight or argument is around brexit again i think point. i think they're their two hosts are they're both northerners aren't they and, they are both and that, and that, alison mcgovern it's something that she talks about a lot actually but she mentioned it at the um at the single market rally this week it's like it's not like people say it's just in london that they care about europe or they care about the single market actually but you know I'm here, like Stephen Darity's here. If you look around the room, there was um, Phil um, Wilson, Phil Wilson yep. from in the northeast. Uh, I think Bridget Phillipson was there as well. There's, there's, there is a number of like, this, there's, a, yeah. this, this ridiculous notion that people only care about Europe if they live in, uh, you know, Islington, which, uh, frankly, I think yeah. we'll find the opposite. <laughs> if sometimes. only there's some people in Islington <laughs> who cared a little bit more about uh, Europe. Yeah, no, it, they've they've both got absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I think one uh, Lancastrian and one uh, Yorkshire accent on their podcast. And it is, a, it is a pleasure to listen to. Always really useful insight. And yeah, it, I, I recommend that you uh, you subscribe to them as well. Anyway, customs is not the only talk of unions this week. Uh, as we prepare... See what you did there. As we prepare for the holy matrimony of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Are you going to be watching the royal wedding? I don't know is the honest answer. I'm supposed to be going to Dublin to campaign for the repeal of the 8th. Mm -hmm but there are some technicalities to sort out, <laughs> like flights and where to stay. Well, if you are interested in the Repeal the Eighth referendum next week, good news. We, um, we do have a podcast on exactly that coming out on Tuesday ahead of the referendum on Friday. As myself, I don't think I'll be watching the Royal Wedding. The, why, um, why do you hate our country? The, the local cemetery's got an open day, and I was going to go to that. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, yeah. You are actually serious, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. There's an annual open day. It's, it's this Saturday. And, How uh, long will it take you to go around? Oh, yeah, I don't know. There's tours and stuff. There's uh, there'll be little markets. I think there's a, there's a choir. There's a crypt. I don't know. Big bigger laugh. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Finally, then, uh, our political pub quiz question. I asked, well, yeah, Lewisham East MP Heidi Alexander has said that she's standing down from Parliament, but which of her predecessors in the seat was accused of building the Tories out of London by supporting council flat building projects? I know, I know, I know. I actually knew this from the beginning. It's Herbert Morrison, grandfather to Peter Mandelson, and he was deputy Labour leader for a while. Um, At the time, he was essentially the mayor of London. He was the uh, leader of the GLC, the greater... I think... I think it was the GLA back then. Was it called the GLA back then? And um, he he basically restored Labour's uh, credibility for national government. It had been ruined by Ramsay McDonald's period in office. Nobody trusted Labour to run the country again. But from London, uh, not only did he do an amazing housebuilding programme, which the stock that he built still stands the test of time, whereas some of the later provisions uh, have not. But he gave the sense that we could run stuff, big, mm. important stuff, and he was key part of Labour having the credibility to win back government in 1945 in the sense that we had grown-ups. He also did a quite remarkable thing of he abandoned a very safe seat in, I think, Hackney um, to go and fight Lewisham, yeah. uh, which was deemed a very tight marginal in '45, and argued if we don't win this seat, we won't be in government and therefore I don't want to be part of it. And it set Labour's ambitions really high that we're going to take Churchill out having won us a war because we had a plan for peace. And that's pretty remarkable, a great legacy. He also had an important philosophy of the Labour movement, which was that the rhetoric wasn't enough. So when everyone talked about nationalisations after the war, we had to see it through and deliver on them. So there's a beautiful bit at the start of the play version of Billy Elliot, where he gets quoted about this great experiment of socialism and renationalising the pits. But he went on to argue very coherently that it didn't matter to the workers whether they'd rename the pits or whatever mm. um that had to actually work and um, whereas the left one to go and keep renationalizing other things but it was really um good guy well you are absolutely right herbert morrison was the correct answer after the house building in the capital while he was at the greater london authority in the 1930s teesside teacher on twitter was the first person to get that right so please do send your name and address to office at progressonline.org.uk and we will put a mug in the post for you if you've had a previous question right and have had no mug, we're plenty in the office now. Uh, so please do get back in touch and we will definitely sort that out. Remember to send in any comments and questions, leave a review, rate and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.
You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crumpton. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.